I would like to welcome you also to spending this time with those who have been here and those who have just arrived in hearing the Dharma and practicing the Dharma. I want to thank those of you who have been here for six weeks to prepare it, prepare the place for us, barbarians, to come in <laughs> as we were so introduced. And uh, <coughs> it's true. <laughs> Out there is like that. But um, we'll see what we can do to uh, uh, follow your lead into silence and solitude and stillness and liberating understanding, hopefully. I want to speak a little bit about the Dhamma and about this time of our life for those of you who've been here and those who've just arrived because in the middle of a retreat like this when new people come is a and some of you some some people have left today it's a big transition there's a lot of letting go and there's a lot of welcoming and there's making space and it's a good time for those who've been here to review um, why they're here, what brought them here, and how it was for you the first couple of days. And it's also a time for those who've just arrived to, in some ways, understand what has been prepared for us here by those who've been here practicing for six weeks. Any transition is a challenge, leaving the familiar habits and people and behaviors and moving into something new, different, with different people. And so there's bound to be some adjustments on everyone's part in order to make the space and to make the place and to make the make it a place where we can all land uh, comfortably and, and either continue the practice or pick up the practice and move forward. You know, we all have, in our own ways, we all have a really, have made a significant commitment just to be here. We've all been practicing, all of you have been practicing for some number of retreats, and many of you for many years, and some of you for decades, it's not like we're strangers to each other, even if we're just meeting for the first time. If you know the Dharma, you know who's arrived. We're all committed in a, a very similar way to awakening. So I want to speak about three qualities, really, that are important to remember in this time of transition. And the first of these is to 
recollect the blessing that we all have in being here. The second topic is to begin to articulate our aspiration for being here. And the third, I'd like to speak a little bit about the practice of renunciation that makes it possible to be here, to realize our aspiration. There's one sutta of the Buddha, one discourse of the Buddha, where he's asked by a heavenly being, what what are the true blessings for beings? What are the true causes of happiness for being? And the Buddha lists a great many um, blessings, but the ones that are most germane or pertinent to today for us He said, to associate with wise people, to hear the Dharma, to practice the Dharma, to realize the truth, and then to act in the world with that wisdom for the benefit of others. Sometimes we forget, or it... Certainly when we've been here for a while, we can sometimes forget how simple it is really and how what a blessing it is to have the opportunity to be among this many like-minded, dharma-interested, sincere practitioners for such a length of time. We who have just arrived know that not everyone in the airport or the bus station, or on the highway, has the same aspiration or the same interest. And so to be here, to be among those who are interested in the Dharma, is really, that's a cause of happiness for us. To hear the Dharma, you know, the Dharma is the way things are. And hopefully what we'll be teaching and sharing and pointing out to you is the way things are. So you can try to bring your own heart and mind and body into alignment with it. And we're not going to try to sell you anything. And you don't have to try to sell us anything. And we're not going to try to impress you. You don't have to impress us. We're not going to barter. We're not going to trade. We're not going to try to convince you. We're not seeking your approval, and please don't seek ours. It's really an opportunity to just be with the way things are. And that's a rare opportunity in this world. And to remember that, that we're here out of our own interest, nobody's forcing us, we don't have to perform, we just have to see this is the way it is, moment by moment. There aren't many places in the world, or many groups, or activities that you can engage in, like that. 
So to remember that, that to, to recollect really that you don't have to do anything for anyone special here. Just be aware, wake up to the way things are. Secondly, or thirdly, to, to practice the Dharma, to associate with the wise, to hear the Dharma, to practice the Dharma. This is a great place to practice. Uh, for those of you who've been here, you know, for those who may be here for the first time, now I think IMS has been around for more than 25 years, since close to 30 years. And this is what's happened here for 30 years. Sit and walk in silence. It's really a special place. And to have so many people committed for so many years uh, to just be here to practice makes it um, a powerful place to practice. You're not alone ever here. And again, It's a rare opportunity in the world, in our lives, the busyness of our lives, the insecurity of our lives, the the temptations of our lives, to just be here, to acknowledge this is the way it is for me now. To practice the Dharma, to realize the truth, to realize freedom, to realize what the Buddha is pointing to when he talks about the third noble truth, there is an end to suffering. And to realize that a little bit, to get a taste, to get a glimpse, moment by moment, or to accumulate many moments. You know, they say there's many reasons to come to the Dhamma, and all of you have many, many reasons for wanting to practice, for wanting to be here, to wanting to be here now. But the one reason that we all stay and keep coming back is because of the taste of the Dhamma, the taste of freedom, the taste of spaciousness in our life. And for those of you who've been here and you, you, know, you kind of sometimes you get pretty entangled in your own inner dramas, you might lose perspective that we're here because we value the Dhamma, we've tasted a little bit the spaciousness, the freedom, the liberation that comes from practice. And to remember that, to recollect that. Those who've just arrived today also know that and also want another taste, a deeper taste of the same freedom. Our very being here is really a great gift to ourselves, to each other, and to all other beings on the face of the earth. Learning how to be with our own bodies, to be with our own minds, to be with each other in a way that does not cause struggle, where we do not feel anxious and fearful and fretful, takes practice. And to the extent that we do that here and we learn how to be with ourselves and to be with each other, we learn how to be a force of kindness and understanding and patience in the world when we leave here too. It's a great challenge really 
to do this practice and to know that it's not only for your own benefit, but it's really a benefit and a gift for everyone that you share your life with, that we share this planet with. To have this time to remember or to recollect these blessings can help to refocus our being here or provide the foundation for our practice here. Just to be here is a blessing. What is it we're going to do here? What is it we are doing here? What are we doing with our precious time here? With all the teachings, spiritual practices, different traditions that are available to us these days, it's a little bit daunting, it's a little bit overwhelming sometimes to know just where to begin or where to go now or what to do. And what really is a benefit to us, to others? Which way do we turn? Who do we consider a teacher? What should we do with our practice? I remember when I first heard the Dhamma. It was quite by accident, actually. Um, I thought I was going to some kind of resort. It ended up being the first three-month retreat. Um, it was a resort, I suppose. It just not, wasn't what I expected. But I remember hearing the teachings and hearing that it wasn't so much a matter of belief and it wasn't so much a matter of uh, even understanding or it wasn't something that you had to accept. It was rather um, a gift that if you could receive the teachings and you just tried them on for size, you might see that they fit. But nobody was forcing you. Nobody it was always with this ehipasiko. Uh, one of the qualities of the, the of the Dhamma is to come and see for yourself. And I like that quality of the teachings or the way the teachings were offered. It wasn't that we had to believe anything. Nothing was being forced but rather they were being offered with an open hand that said, try this, see if this is beneficial for you. And if it is, then have the courage to try to live it or try to fulfill it or try to realize it. And of course, it's only our own, our own idea of what's possible for us. our own interest in realizing what might be possible for us that makes such an offer valuable. You know, we have, as human beings, or just as, as human beings, we have this tremendous potential. You know, the greatest of human beings, those that love like Jesus, those that have a service-mindedness like Mother Teresa, those who have the compassion of 
the Buddha, the integrity of Aung San Suu Kyi, and it's just tremendous capacities that we each have, that we can each aspire to, that we can bring to a fruition, a fulfillment that we can realize. But it all takes practice, and to know what direction we want to move our life in, to move our heart in, to move our mind in, we need to somehow articulate to ourselves what, what our aspiration is. And when I say aspiration, I don't mean what kind of goal have we set for ourselves this retreat. Because that really just sets up some idea that we kind of struggle with and we measure ourselves with, that we monitor our practice with, or that we even judge ourselves with. And that's not so useful. But really, if we understand that our aspiration is a direction that we choose to move our life moment by moment, then there's no need to struggle with the way things are, but just to look for, how do I be a little more patient? How do I be a little more understanding? How can I be a little more kind? How can I be a little more gentle with myself, with others, in any moment? Even though the teachings that we will offer or have been offering here are from the Buddhist tradition, you don't have to be a Buddhist. If you breathe, that's good enough. You know, one of our students and a friend of ours um, used to have a very close relationship with Mother Teresa when she was living and used to go to India and, and see her and work alongside her and, and knew her quite well. And on one of the earlier visits to Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa asked our friend, are you Catholic? And our friend said, well, I was baptized a Catholic, but I don't know, really. I question the virgin birth. I don't really understand devotion, and I don't like the Pope. And Mother Teresa cut in, oh, you're Catholic, all right. <laughs> So you don't have to believe what we say. You don't have to be a Buddhist. You don't have to try to be a Buddhist. It's probably better not to be. But to just hear the teachings, to practice, to move your life in each moment towards that which you see is the direction you want to head. How do you want to be in the world? We move there in minute steps, moment by moment. Sometimes our aspiration is not so clear. We don't really know where it is we're going, where it is we're heading. But this moment is never a bad place to be. So if we can find a way to be here with the present experience, if we practice that with real sincerity, integrity, diligence, then our aspiration will become clear through the sincerity of our effort.
Sometimes, as you know, practice can be difficult, whether it's painful body or making room for the new arrivals or feeling self-conscious because we've just arrived or even more difficult stuff that emerges in the mind. Difficulty should be expected. Challenging experiences should be expected. That's the nature of really trying to see the momentum of the mind, see the habits of the mind, and to turn them around, to let them go if necessary, to develop those that are leading in the direction you want to go. And part of practice is, of course, we choose to be here. And sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes we don't even like being here. But doing what we like is not really the fulfilling of the spiritual path. Our friend, again, when she went to see Mother Teresa one time, close to the end of Mother Teresa's life, she felt this strong urge to go, but she didn't really understand why. And she said to Mother Teresa when she got this, she said, I really didn't feel like coming here this time. And Mother Teresa said, you don't develop your spiritual life by doing what you feel like doing. You develop your spiritual life by doing what is right. We all have seen the rightness of mindfulness practice. In some way, we've all made the choice to be here to practice this mindfulness, to, to reaffirm the rightness of our understanding. To be in the present moment is really just to ask ourselves, can I accept this? Can I open to this? Can I be at ease with this? It's not so much about getting something, attaining something, becoming something, acquiring something. Really, the practice is about letting go. So I want to speak a little bit about really our practice here. No matter how you conceive of the benefits of practice, or the Dhamma, or what you aspire to, it can only be attained by letting go. This is the practice of renunciation. And of course, just being here is really a significant renunciation, just leaving familiar family, friends, habits, distractions. We give up a lot to be here. And we can survive quite well being here, having given up so much. In part because we're, we're very well provided for, of course, but we just have an abundance of potential, capabilities, opportunities, being here is just sorting through the possibilities and letting go of what is not essential. Essential behavior, essential speech, essential activity, 
You just let them go, let them go, let them go, let them go, let them go. Until we realize what we can't do without. Our conditioning to pursue pleasure, our habits of distraction, our, our beliefs about ourselves are so strong, unbelievably powerful. And to disentangle our heart, our mind, our bodies from obsession, compulsion, addiction, uh, that which is not useful, is really difficult. Really difficult, as you know. But it's possible. In here, we practice the possible. We practice living simply letting go of what is not essential. And one great practice of renunciation and simplicity is, of course, living with the precepts. You just take on the, 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 the practice of letting go of harming ourselves and others in all these ways, whether it's killing as in the first precept or, um, of course, we're not killing each other, but... And we were having a meeting this afternoon. We opened the window because it was quite warm. First thing, mosquito came in. I said to Joseph, what are we doing? Mosquitoes in November. I mean, can't you get rid of them before now? <laughs> so we make space for all creatures. We don't take what's not offered. And this, you know, none of us are stealing. None of us are thieves, really. But... There's a lot that's offered here. Space and opportunities and food and... And what is offered is the opportunity to practice and to let go. Can we just accept that? Can we keep it that simple? To not ask for more. To not need more. To not... I mean, we have the desire for more, the wanting more, or thinking we need more. But do we really... Can we, is there anything we can let go of to make it possible to be here a little simpler? Sexual activity to not act on, not act out our sexual energy while being here. Not because it's wrong or bad, but it can be confusing. It can be addictive. It can be uh, distracting. And to let that go. However important it is for us, to just let it go for a while. Can we live without that? Can we live simply by ourselves, alone in a group of many? Speaking. And here, of course, we're practicing noble silence. But really it refers to using words, whether it's in notes or communicating through gesture. It's just, can we let it all go? Can we just let go of the need to say, to speak, to do, to perform, to act, to... Can we just be by ourselves? Great opportunity is the note board, as you know. 
How many times a day do we have to look at that note board? Really? That's a practice of renunciation. Can we let it go? You know, we're not here as teachers and staff and administrators to um, fulfill your needs. We're not. You're not here to kind of get and do what you want. But really it's to learn really how simply you can live. What is essential? Renunciation leads to contentment. But how will we know when we're content? Who's going to tell us that now we're at ease with ourselves, with our needs, with our wants, with our body, with our minds, with our hearts, with each other? You know, the Buddha uh, instructed his disciples, monks and nuns, to stop eating five mouthfuls before full. How will you know what five mouthfuls before full is? Well, you have to pay careful attention. Our habits, for, my, for many of us, is to stop eating five mouthfuls after full. And so, it's, and even then it's hard to know that. So, this practice of renunciation is really paying very close attention to what can we do without. For some of you, some of you are already taking the eight precepts, and I want to just mention them because those of you who just arrived may be interested. And it's not that you have to start them today or tonight or tomorrow, but whenever you feel, any of you, whenever you feel the interest or the urgency or the aspiration to practice this level of renunciation, then it's possible to take the three additional precepts, the first of which is to refrain from eating solid food after the noontime meal. And that essentially means not eating whatever solid food is offered uh, at tea time. And that is the more difficult of the three um, additional precepts. But it's a voluntary renunciation. I'm not encouraging you. I'm not discouraging you. I'm just offering you the opportunity. And what I found from, from taking on that kind of practice is that it's not always easy. And it's not that you're suddenly not going to be hungry, but that it's a commitment I make to myself that develops, in fulfilling that commitment, develops a, a lot of wholesome qualities. Energy and determination and understanding and patience and just powerful faith, even, that I can do it. So there's a lot to be gained from renunciation, whether it's the three precepts or whatever you let go of. The seventh precept is to refrain from singing, dancing, entertainments. You can still come to the Dharma talk, even if it's entertaining. Um, and adornments. Anything that makes the body beautiful. Now, traditionally, it's jewelry and makeup and things like that. And you can consider for yourself how, if you take that precept, how you might uh, fulfill that, how that might be a practice for you. What is it that you let go of uh, to fulfill this, this 
precept of refraining from adorning the body, entertaining the mind, uh, distracting the mind. The bulletin board. Yeah, there we go again. The movie of the retreat. That one go. This, the eighth precept is to refrain from high and luxurious beds and chairs. Uh, has anyone seen one? <laughs> I mean, really, there's not, there's not a lot here. But if you want to take on this practice, this practice of renunciation, what would it mean for you to refrain from the use of high and luxurious beds and chairs? Maybe you won't sit in the soft chairs in room 101. Or maybe you won't um, lie down during the day. Or maybe you'll find your way of practicing renunciation to develop those qualities, to develop the quality of renunciation, to develop the determination, the energy. Practicing renunciation is the the vehicle, really, for realizing our aspiration, for moving our hearts and minds in the direction that we see is good. And this is the place, this is the time, these are the people to practice with. And so, take this moment, take this time, take today, tomorrow, to remember the blessing of being in such a group, having the opportunity to hear the Dharma, to practice the Dharma, to realize the Dharma. Clarify your aspiration. What is the direction your practice is taking you? Can you remember that moment by moment in the difficult times? And can we let go? Can we just let go of what is not needed in order to realize contentment? Peace. Our being here is one experiment. It's a big experiment. Can I be happy? Now let's just see. What is it that we have to do? What do we have to let go of? How simply, how simply can we live? This is the place to challenge your assumptions about yourself. What do you think you need? Let go of that. What do you think is possible? Try that. Only we'll know for ourselves. We can't force you. We teachers, we, we can't force you. We can't make you do anything. But only you can awaken this, this curiosity, what's possible to realize. How far can we move? What can we let go of in six weeks? What kind of contentment can we discover with that? The possibilities are there. The possibilities are endless. So I want to welcome you again and Thank you for really making the decision to spend your time this way.
really important that we do this for ourselves, for each other, for the world. All of our efforts here are a real gift. Thank you. Kamala is going to speak a little bit about the refuges and then offer the refuges and precepts to all of us. So we're all going to be taking the refuges and precepts together in just a few moments. Thank you for your practice. It's really wonderful to be in your light. The refuges. What is a refuge? A refuge is a place of safety. And one of the last words of the Buddha was, be a refuge unto yourself. What is that? When we, when we look at taking refuge, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Now the Buddha as a human being, we do not live in his lifetime, but we live during the dispensation of his teachings, which is a great uh, fortune for us. Maybe we can't take refuge in the Buddha as a human being, being present here in our lives today. But the way he awakened as a human being, like we all are, to that potential within himself is something we can do also. The qualities of an awakened mind and heart, which we all are awakening to, we can take refuge in that. The qualities of renunciation, of wisdom, of patience, of generosity, of compassion, of equanimity, of resolution, These are all qualities that we can take refuge in. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, we may remember that, that we're taking not so much refuge in a historical being as in what a human being can realize. When we take refuge in the Dhamma, what does the Dhamma mean? The Dhamma means the natural unfolding of the way things are, not just at a level which is easy to understand, but at a very deep level, a level that takes a lot of stillness of the mind and heart. The stillness that is a balance of just the right amount of energy that brings us deeper into the moment's experience and just the right amount of equanimity, and just the right amount of faith. Other qualities also. So we come into a deeper understanding of the law, the truth, the way things are, moment to moment. Sometimes in my practice, it's really hard to realize, in my own practice, in anyone's practice, what the depth of understanding can be in that moment. And all I'm able to do is open to, this is how it is right now. The grief of my heart, the happiness of my heart, the imbalance of it in the moment, 
whatever it is, just opening to that. And within that moment, knowing deeply the possibility of falling more deeply into the truth, naturally, in a natural way. So taking refuge in the Dhamma, taking refuge in the Sangha, traditionally means taking refuge in those beings who have realized the Four Noble Truths, realize the truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, that there is an end to suffering, and the way to the end of suffering. And so those beings we take refuge in may be living today, may be many beings we don't know, many beings we know, many beings in the past. Those beings who have purified their hearts of greed, hatred, and delusion to different degrees. You can also think of taking refuge in the Sangha, the Sangha being each one of us. We form a Sangha, a community, a spiritual community. And I think the important part of that is not that we're taking refuge in everybody else here, but to remember that everyone is also taking refuge in us, in our ability to keep our commitment, to stay on the path, to realize our highest potential, to do what needs to be done. It's unique for each one of us, and so we're sensitive to what is it for us, and not just for us, but what could it mean for another person here? supporting their solitude, their silence. So we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. It may mean many other things to you, but these are some of the things it can mean. And then we take the precepts, which Steve just spoke about. The precepts are all about the foundation of our practice, without the foundation of our practice, without the um, support and the development of non-harming within ourselves, we can't go farther on the path. We can't go deeper. So the precepts, living in harmony, not just because it's good to do that with one another because it deepens the practice of the community as a whole, but because it paves the way in our own hearts to be free of uh, any kind of remorse. Remorse, I mean, remorse is a good thing, but what about being completely free of remorse? Or as free as we can be so that we don't commit acts with our body, speech, that harm another that we even have to think about. so that the stillness on the cushion can be really still, so that our hearts can be really open and safe even for ourselves. So this is taking refuge, taking the precepts. So we'll take the refuges and precepts now, those who would like to participate. And if you don't feel comfortable, it's totally okay. Um, There's a a sheet that everybody's been referring to.
And I think half of you or more than half of you have been chanting these precepts already. So we'll we'll chant them all together. And those of you who are new, you can uh, refer to the sheet. Does everyone have one who needs one? There's an extra, if, if you feel comfortable coming up to get one. So I'll go along with you up until the fifth precept, and um, those who are taking the additional three precepts to include all of the eight, um, you can chant more vigorously. (laughs) Okay? So all together. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa. Buddhang saranang gachami, dhammam saranang gachami. Sangang saranang gachami, dutiyampi buddhang saranang gachami, dutiyampi dhammam saranang gachami, dutiyampi sangang saranang gachami, tatiyampi buddhang saranang gachami. Tatiyampi dhammam saranang gachami. Tatiyampi sanghang saranang gachami. Panati pata veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Adinadana veramani sikapadang samadhyami. Abramacharya Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Musawada Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Sura Meriya Majapamadatana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Chakita Vadita Visukadasana Malaganda Upana Dharana Mandana Visanatana Veramani Sikapadang Samadhyami Sayana all together. Idang me silang magapalanyanasa pachayo hotu. Let's take about four minutes to sit together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.